We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You should have seen my face every single time, uh, especially in the fourth. Uh, you, you know, the first three quarters, obviously, uh, making plays for all of us. Uh, that was probably the most wide open I've ever been in my career. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of easy baskets. I used to have to have to work for everything, but in the fourth quarter, uh, the shot making ability, uh, you know, shot creation, uh, should have seen my face. I was just like, well, never, never <laughs> had this. Uh, nothing close to it. So hopefully that continues. And uh, we didn't even play our best, but I think we can be way better than that. Well, that is an effusive Joel Embiid after last night. Sixers win after James Harden's debut and a man who covers the Sixers as well as anybody in this town. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner, B-O-D-N-E-R-N-B-A, or subscribe to The Daily Six, his uh, newsletter about the Sixers. And um, Derek, let's kind of start with that, not Harden individually, but what Harden is going to mean for Joel Embiid. Yeah, he's going to mean a lot for Joel Embiid. Um, you know, he is not only the best scorer that Joel Embiid has played with, but the best half-court passer that he's ever played with, too. And there's nobody that he has played with that comes even close to being able to put pressure on a defense in a half-court like James Harden. You know, I think what we're going to see a lot of is, you know, you saw a lot of James Harden being trapped on the perimeter coming off of a pick-and-roll. That's going to open up the world for Joel Embiid. That's going to open up the world for the shooters around Embiid and Harden. Uh, it is going to be a lot easier for Joel Embiid, you know, there was a Joel Embiid has had his struggles in the playoffs in part because being a post player in the playoffs, it's so easy to double team him. And now with James Harden on, on the team, that is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's worlds easier for Joel Embiid. Uh, it is something he has never had. He will be open more often than he ever has been. Uh, and it's, it's going to benefit everyone, not just Embiid, but all the role players around them too. Derek, I, I watching last night's game, and we all we told, we spent the last two hours really talking about it. Um, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was it was really terrific. I, but I'm just your your perception. How what surprised me was how good they were for the first time on the floor together. I mean, the whole and not just and not just Embiid and Harden, but I mean the whole how the whole thing worked. I mean, how smooth it was. I mean, they only had three turnovers in the first half, uh, and. I mean, it looked like they had been playing together all season. I mean, that was the part that surprised me, was how, how good they were for the first time out. Did it surprise you, too? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, I, it, it's not only, um, you know, look, Minnesota isn't exactly the world's greatest defense. They're not terrible. They've actually improved quite a bit. Patrick Beverly addition, addition of Beverly helped them a lot. Um, but they're respectable, but they're not good. Uh, and I think that's a team that wasn't really built to, you know, they like to really blitz the pick and roll. And against James Harden, he's too good to do that he's going to put you into too many rotations. He's going to create too many open shots for his teammates. So I think there will be teams that will, 
you know, if we're going to see bumps, it'll probably be down the road a little bit. But for an opening night performance, um, you know, that was as good as you could have possibly hoped for. They've never played with, uh, with each other. Um, all the role players seemed like they knew their role, which is going to be key. Um, it was, and, and the two-man game between Embiid and Harden was as good as you could have expected. Uh, yeah, that was as good of an opening uh, performance as you could hope for. Uh, like I said, I do think there's going to be teams that will um, expose their lack of familiarity against each other, uh, and we'll see how quickly they can become familiar and, and play off of each other. But for an opening night, that was borderline perfection. It was it was tremendous, and it was a ton of fun. And let's talk about Harden individually. Um, 27 points, I mean, really efficient. Um, Step-back jumper just was deadly. draws fouls, everything he does. Uh, The guy we saw last night, for people who maybe don't watch the NBA as closely as you do, is that the James Harden we expect to get for the rest of the season and moving forward? Stylistically, for sure. Um, You know, that is the kind of game that he plays. He's going to live at the foul line and from beyond the three-point line. Uh, You know, some of those, he does take a lot of, you'll look at his three-point percentage sometimes, and it's not great. Uh, And part of that is because he takes some very tough, high degree of difficulty shots, a lot of step backs, a lot of contested shots. So that five for seven from deep won't always, you know, that there will be some two for sevens from deep thrown in there, but the kind of pressure that he puts on the defense by being willing to shoot from so, so deep and so quick and being able to get uh, into the paint and create for others. You know, I think one thing that kind of got lost when he initially went to Brooklyn, he was playing this way more of a distributor role that I think we saw throughout much of last night as well. Uh, he sort of had to become, I won't call it the old James Harden, but a little more uh, ISO-heavy one-on-one scoring because you know Durant and Irving were out of the lineup so much. But I think right now at this stage of his career, he wants to facilitate a little more. Uh, I expect him to average double-digit in assists. Yeah, I think stylistically that is the James Harden you can expect. Like I said, he's not going to make five out of seven every night from deep. He just takes two tough of shots to do that. But he is going to continually put pressure on the defense. Uh, and, and yeah. Before the before the trade was made in the uh, in the weeks leading up to it, a lot was written and a lot was said about the trade and about Harden and what he represented at this point in his career. And it was suggested by a, a number of people, especially the people up in New York, that you know that his game had slipped, that he wasn't the player that he had been in Houston, that there was there were signs of age and there were signs of wear and tear, and that he wasn't you know he wasn't that guy anymore. Um, you saw, I mean, you saw plenty of them. Did you buy into any of that? No, I think his athleticism has probably slipped a little bit. Um, you know, not a tremendous amount. I think he's still capable of quite a lot. But I think that's part of why this is the right spot for him. You know, I think he if you were going to ask him to be that league-leading scorer that he was in Houston for a couple of years there, I think he would probably struggle a little bit. You know, not like he couldn't do it, but he would be slightly less efficient in doing so. Um, so, yeah, I think he's lost a little, like a half-step athletically. But I think his game has never been truly based 100% off of athleticism anyway. He's so crafty. He's so good off the dribble. He's so good with his deep shot. And he's, he's just he sees the floor both as a passer and as a scorer so well that I don't think he's going to drop off precipitously right now. Um, so, yeah, I think he's probably lost a half step in his athleticism from what he was when he was 27, 28. Uh, if he was asked to be the James Harden league-leading scorer right now, I think we would see more of that. But paired next to Joel Embiid, I think we're going to be very pleased with what we see offensively. Derek Bodner is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA. You tweeted last night, Daryl Morey's 16-month personal nightmare of experiencing life without James Harden ends in 20 minutes. You put it right before the game. What is Explain, uh, for those who may not know, the relationship between those two. Yeah, I mean, 
much of Daryl Morey's legacy is tied towards James Harden. Uh, I think there is unfinished business, a feeling on both ends of unfinished business from their time in Houston. And look, the moment that J- uh, Daryl Morey came to Philadelphia, there was speculation, not only externally but internally within the Sixers, that this was the end goal. This was a, a what they were working towards. And look, if Damian Lillard or somebody of that ilk became available at any point before they acquired James Harden, do I think Daryl Morey would have acted on that? Yeah, for sure. But they didn't. Uh, and I think this was always in the back of Daryl Morey's mind. I think there's an extreme level of comfort between Morey and Harden. Uh, and I think Morey very obviously appreciates what James Harden brings to the basketball court. And he plays the, kind, the style of basketball that Daryl Morey wants to play. Um, so it's just, it, you know, these are two people who were speculated about um, for months and months and months. It came out to be true. I think James Harden was always in the back of Daryl Morey's mind. Uh, the question was only whether or not it would work out in Brooklyn. It didn't, uh, and when that became evident, then it was this, I don't want to say it seemed like destiny, but this was always going to be a pursuit. I guess the, you know, the, the offensive part of it, I think we saw all of it last night, and we saw the promise of what it could be, and, and that part of it really only figures to get better and better as, as they play together more. Um, the question is at the other end of the court defensively, because you know, James Harden has never been considered a great defensive player, uh, and if you look at the way the Sixers work, the Sixers are not a team – that switches a lot on defense. It's just not what they do. It's just not uh, – it doesn't suit their personnel. It's not Doc Rivers' style. They're not a switching defense much. But throughout Harden's career, he's kind of had to – because of the kind of player he is, he's had to be a guy that's run through a lot of switches. How do you think they're going to – how do you think they're going to reconcile that and work him in and, you know, ultimately down the road, will they be a better defensive team or will they be a good enough defensive team to win in the postseason? Yeah. Um, and It's a good point because it's 100% true. James Harden's teams have always switched a lot. In part, that is because James Harden's biggest benefit defensively is that he is big, he is strong, he can hold his own even against bigger players. And part of it, it's to conserve energy. Um, and, you know, he's not the most attentive or engaged defender. Uh, by switching, it minimizes that a little bit. It's real tough for the Sixers to switch, especially when you run a pick and roll with Joel Embiid. They do not want Joel Embiid switching too much, in part because of the energy it would exert, but also in part because he is maximized by being near the rim where he can impact the most number of shots. I, and I think you saw a couple of miscommunications last night uh, where James Harden wanted to switch. Some of his teammates weren't expecting it, and you saw open driving lanes because of it. You know, I think the Sixers will switch a little more than they have been to make use of James Harden. I don't think that will be a ton of, you know, screens with Embiid, but the other three players on the court, I think you could see a little more switching. But overall, there is no perfect solution to this team's defense. I think that is going to be true even in those minutes when Joel Embiid is off the floor. And now you're, you know, I think you saw Paul Millsap out there. And I think Doc Rivers, in those minutes where Harden is on the court without Embiid, I think Doc Rivers wants some shooting at that five spot to help space the floor, to help Harden with the pick and rolls. And that's just going to make the defense even worse. I don't think it's going to be a top, you know, five, level defense. I don't think it's going to be a dominant defense where you go into the playoffs and you're 100% comfortable with it. But I think Joel Embiid is almost single-handedly enough to keep them where they will be good. Uh, and whether or not that is enough with what they can do offensively remains to be seen. There aren't very many perfect teams. This is probably their one main flaw, especially because their only real plus, like elite shutdown type defender is Matisse Thibel, who is tough to play offensively on many nights and, and will be tough to play offensively in the playoffs. Danny Green taking a step back certainly hurts them in that regard. All right, so last one for me, and it's a two-parter, and I know I'm asking you to project a lot, but kind of looking at the East, 
Um, where, where do you kind of rank them now? Where are they in the pecking order among the elite teams? And the second part of the question, which relates to the first, is can Doc Rivers do this? Is he up to this? Yeah. Um, I would still, in terms of just pure probability, I would probably put the Bucks still slightly ahead of them just because of their familiarity, just because of, of Giannis and how good he is. But I yeah, think the Sixers certainly have an it. upside. Right. And because they've done it. I think the Sixers certainly have an upside where they can compete with them. I think this is where sort of like the gelling and the familiarity and the coaching becomes a big factor into it. Um, so I would put the, the Bucks slightly ahead of them. I would put the Sixers ahead of, you know, the Heat and the Bulls. All due respect, uh, they both had tremendous seasons. They would both be, especially the Heat would be dangerous in the playoffs. I think the Sixers have an high, a higher end outcome. Um, and the Nets, I have quite frankly no idea how to handicap right now. They certainly have the upside. I don't know whether or not um, – what the probability of that would be. So I'd put the Sixers right now second in the East. Doc Rivers' part is a little bit tougher. Um, you know, I think this is a squad that now more fits the style of play that he wants to play. I think he is better equipped to win in the playoffs than he was in previous year. But that being said, last year was the easiest road to the conference finals that you will ever see. Uh, and with the way they sputtered out there in the second round, Doc has had his playoff moments, and I don't mean that in a good way. Yes, um, right, he doesn't necessarily right. re react all that well on his feet, it doesn't seem, uh, adjust all that well in a seven-game series. It's a legitimate concern. He's clearly done it before. That was just a very different era of basketball, and he had three Hall of Famers. Um, by and large, I think talent in the NBA wins, so I think the Sixers have a shot. But I do have my concerns with Doc as well. Um, and I was I was actually going to ask that question, but I'll I'll take it one step further, Derek. Um, if this team, as it's constructed now, and you know they they really do look good, and it's realistic, I kind of agree with you. I I I have them in Milwaukee kind of neck and neck in the East, but I think it's you could make the case that yeah, they could get to the finals for sure. If they if they stumble in the playoffs, if they lose in round two, let's say, and in the minds of most people, underachieve given what they are right now. Doc Rivers' job on the line? I would certainly think so. I mean, there, there's nothing that leads to changes in coaches quicker than expectations. Um, I think that's true pretty much across all sports. I think that that would be true here, just hypothetically. Um, obviously, I'm not, you know, not sure what Daryl's thinking, but expectations tend to lead to changes. Uh, and if they don't meet expectations, you know, if they show out well here in the playoffs, if they get to the conference finals or are competitive – or if they get to the finals, certainly I think Doc would have a, a another year here to, to give it a go. But if you lose in the first or second round, uh, expectations tend to result in changes. Uh, yeah, I would think that would, anything would be on the table. Um, and whether or not you know Daryl Morey is comfortable with Doc or not, um, that would be a huge underachievement for sure. Well, let us hope it gets better than that. And, uh, boy, Wednesday night, uh, last one is just going to be something special down at, uh, in South Philly, isn't it? That was a question, but yes, it is. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I, didn't hear <laughs> I was asking. I know. I, I kind of said it as a statement, but I was. I, I guess I was looking for your affirmation that Wednesday night's going to be tremendous down there. Yeah, for sure. And I was thinking about this before I came on. Uh, like in terms of debuts and excitement, I really do think you probably have to go back to To uh, and, and the way that yeah. that season started against the Giants. I can't remember anything. Even I mean, certainly with the Sixers, most of their debuts don't really go as planned. Uh, whether that's Chris, Chris Webber or any of the other ill-fated stars the Sixers have acquired. This was the one that has worked out, and there's an excitement level that I think is palpable and real and, and, and worth it. Amen. Derek Bodner, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Yep, thank you. Thanks, uh, Derek. Be well. Yeah.
they lost their first game with Julius Irving. <laughs> Is that right? Was that a home game? It was a home game. Was that yeah. the one, uh, I think you told me the story, where the guy runs onto the field with the Dodgers? Yeah, Steve game. Soames, the season ticket holder. The guy who had the court do sits right at midcourt yeah, yeah. on the floor. Uh, came running out on the floor with a doctor's kit and handed it to Julius when he was introduced. It was it brought the house down. It was so funny. Doc got a big and laugh. Then, and it. then they lost. And then they lost. Then the game. Then the game started and they lost. I think. I think it was San Antonio, if I'm not mistaken. Worked out well in the long. Yeah, run. they they kind of got it worked out. But I mean, it was it was kind of what you expect? I mean, a guy comes in brand new, never played with his teammates before, and you know the ball's bouncing off people's feet, going out of bounds, and. You know, it's, it's not quite you, – you go in there with one set of expectations and, okay, this is what it is. But, okay, it'll get better over time. And to be honest, I kind of thought that it was, that was kind of what it was going to look like last night, and there was none of that. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was just about perfect right from, right from the start. That's what's so exciting about this. You know what's always the part of the Julius Irving story that I have a tough time understanding? Is that the guy who was the owner of the team, Fitz Dixon, right. had no idea who Julius Irving was. Right. When they're getting him from the NBA. Right. Right? And then Pat Williams had to kind of ex- – it was Pat Williams, right? And Pat Williams was the GM, right. Okay. He, he drove out to Fitz's house out in, uh, you know, out in Ert, Villanova, Ert, Ert Nine Farms, yeah, out there in, in White Marsh, and said, Mr. Dixon, we have a chance to get Julius Irving. And Fitz said, who's that? How do you own an NBA team? I know Irving was in the ABA, but he was Julius Irving. I, everybody knew who Julius Irving was. Everybody except the gentleman who owned the Sixers. <laughs> so what kind of owner was Fitz Dixon? I uh, came here, Harold Katz owned the team, right? Nobody liked Harold Katz by the time I got here because he was, you know, he was working out potential guys in the in his driveway. Right. Right. So he was regarded as way too involved. Yeah, uh, Harold was very, very hands-on. But so giving Harold credit, he was the, he was the guy that said we're, we're getting Moses Malone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying what the perception of him was, uh, but f- from fans. But Fitz Dixon owned the team, and like he didn't know anything about basketball. Not really, no. Not really. I mean, but he what, didn't interfere, which no, is, he just he just stayed, he just totally stayed out of it. But yeah, uh, that's a good owner. You know what, Pat? What Pat sold him? I, Pat said to him, "Julius Irving is the Babe Ruth of basketball," and uh, Fitz said, "Okay, good, let's sign him." And that and that was how and that was how it went down. Yeah, but Pat's told that story many times. He literally did not know who Julius Irving was, but when he heard he was the Babe Ruth of basketball, that was that was good enough. He knew who Babe Ruth was. He did know who Babe Ruth was. Right, yeah. Well, that's 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 good. But Fitz Dixon was a very nice man. I met him a number of times. But he was a, uh, you know, he was he was he was very, he was the he was the definition of the word patrician. I mean, he really was. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, he was a real courtly, wealthy gentleman. You know, you know, always the tie was always pulled up. He was always, <laughs> his pants were always pressed. I mean, he was, he was a very he was a very nice guy. Uh, who was who was involved in the sports, but didn't necessarily follow it. And in this case, he certainly didn't follow the ABA. Can I give you a, a, the flip side of that story? Sure. So when I, when I worked for the Detroit Free Press, I, I once wrote a long magazine profile on Bill Frieder, who was the Michigan coach at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? You remember Bill Frieder? Oh, sure. Okay. Before uh, Steve Fisher. And um, Frieder just only knew basketball. That's what he knew. And actually, what's funny is the story involves Doc Rivers. So Bill Frieder is he's looking and he's recruiting and he sees a story that says if Bo Derrick is a ten, Doc Rivers is a nine. Right? Probably at the time it was Glenn Rivers, but is is a nine. And Frieder says, 
I don't know about Doc Rivers, but we might want to go after this Bo Derrick guy. <laughs> <laughs> and had no idea. Oh, that's uh, coaches are the best. I mean, they they right. live they live in their own world. I know. Yeah, I know, sure. Do. I know. I know. I've told I've I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's just so. And I love I love Dick Vermeil. God, I love I love Dick oh, Vermeil. Yeah, but he, but, sure. he, but he he might be the classic example. Yes. Of this. I mean, the Eagles when Dick was coaching them early on. Um, they they would sometimes practice over at Old Kennedy Stadium, the stadium that hosted the Army Navy game, just to get off the artificial turf, just to go over there and practice on grass, so that the, it wouldn't just kill the guy's legs. So they would occasionally go over there and practice. So they were going over to Kennedy Stadium to practice one day, and the Rolling Stones were coming in to uh, do a concert at uh, at the JFK Stadium, uh, and so they were building this stage uh, at at one end of the stadium, at this massive old stadium. And so after practice, I mean, Dick had no idea what, what was going on. And he looked over, and they're, they're, they're building these scaffolds and hammering stuff into place. And he said, what's going on over there? And the writers were all gathered around, and we said, well, you know, Rolling Stones are coming in, and uh, there are going to be a concert here this week. And, you know, Dick just kind of gave us this blank stare. And, and then I kind of jokingly, just to tweak him a little bit, said, you, you do know who the Rolling Stones are, right? And, and Dick's response was, yeah, of course I know them. My 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 kids get their magazine. <laughs> well, wasn't the the ultimate Vermeil story that during the bicentennial, which I guess was that same year, when they had the tall ships parade, or they had the fireworks? It was the fireworks, and, right? The, the team was in training camp. They were out okay, there. Go ahead. They out of, they were, no, they were out of Widener. They that oh, was they were the, Widener. Okay, I, uh, okay. Go ahead. You know the story. Well, I I was covering them. Uh, they were there was their Dick's first training camp. They were at Widener University, uh, which was uh, everybody knows where Widener is, and it was the bicentennial. And the day that the, the day that the team reported was July the July the third. So oh, ju- uh, July the fourth comes the next day. It's the bicentennial of all things. So 200th birthday of the America and all kinds of fireworks. There's flyovers. There's all this. The, you know, the Queen of England is here coming to Philadelphia. It's all this stuff is happening. All this stuff is happening. It's all happening in Philadelphia. And Dick is completely unaware of any of it. And he's in his room uh, at the dorm at Widener looking at tape or going through his playbook or whatever. And all of a sudden the fireworks just start bam, bam, bam outside the window. And Dick goes to the window and looks out and says, what's going on? And Carl Peterson, who will actually be his presenter in Canton this year. Yeah. Carl Peterson says, well, Dick, it's, you know, it's 4th of July. It's the, not just the 4th of July, but it's the bicentennial. It's the 200th birthday of America. And, and Dick says, well, I don't care whose birthday it is. You know, make this stop. You know, this is, like, this is, guys are trying to get to sleep. I'm trying to get some work done here. You know, tell them to stop. Well, I, I can't really tell them to stop. I mean, this is a little bit bigger than what we're doing here right now. But that's, you know, that's the mentality of a coach. You know, they that's, they that's are the they so are. narrow focused. It's really an odd thing. Yeah. And football more than anything. Oh, yeah. So, oh, or yeah. Co- or college basketball. College basketball coaches kind of live that bubble, as, as with the Frieder story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, well, I'll, I'll give you one other v- very quick one. And, it's, and it's, uh, it goes across the board. It's, I mean, Joe Gibbs was ex- – Joe Gibbs. Oh, was ex- gosh, yes. Joe Gibbs was exactly like Dick. I mean, exactly Yeah, I got a Joe like, Gibbs story, but you go first. Exactly Here's like that. Probably and, better, yeah. Um, was – in the middle of the um, uh, Iran-Contra controversy, when that was all anybody talked about in the news. Uh, and Ollie North, everybody knew, you know, Ollie, Ollie North was on the news every night. Um, of course, they, the Washington is right there in Washington. So one day of practice, Ollie, Oliver North comes to the Redskins practice. And, they, you know, the, the Redskins PR director at the end of practice walks Oliver North over to meet Coach Gibbs and uh, introduces... Joe Gibbs to Oliver North, 
Joe Gibbs had no idea who he was. None. I mean, he's he was only he on was, TV 18 hours he's, a day. He's on at television that point. Uh, 24 hours a day. Oliver right. North is testifying before the he's on Senate committees. He's on television constantly. Yeah. I mean, there was nobody that, and front page of the Washington Post, front page of the New York Times. Oliver North was everywhere. They brought him over to introduce him to Joe Gibbs at the end of a Washington practice. Joe looked at him, had no idea who he was. None. Yeah. I once did a uh, feature on Gibbs for the Inquirer when I was in the in the sports department there, and I got to interview him for a while. And, it, it was kind of like a Joe Gibbs off the field, which turned out to be not the greatest feature in the world because, as you suggest, there wasn't much to it. And I remember asking him a question. It kind of related to his family and, you know, the, the coach sleeping in the office, that whole thing. And I said, how do you keep in touch with your family during the season? And he said, my wife records cassettes for me. And right. then when I'm either in the office or in the car, I listen to the cassettes. And I said, well, how's that going? He said, it starts out okay, and then usually she ends up being mad at me for not being there. So she kind of hollers, and then I just turn off the cassette. Mm-hmm. So, it's a true story. So that was that was it. True story. Yeah, man, not the life for me. Told me All the right. same. Told it told me the same thing. It Is that right? Exactly the same thing. Yep. Oh well, you yep. probably wrote it before I did. And they just never and 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 he just never went home. He doesn't. No. I mean, he those guys. They just lived. They just lived at the complex. Yeah. And they would go home after the game. Uh, they would come back to the office on Monday, and they wouldn't go home until the following weekend. Yeah, that's eh, not good. Not the life for me. New two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Steve and Gerald, the other guys hanging in. We'll get you coming up on the other side. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mac, now on ninety four WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest five G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ray Danger, Glenn Mac now 94 WIP. You got any plans today, Ray? Anything you're up to? What's that? I say, do you have any plans today? Anything you're up to this afternoon or this evening? Uh, no, not that I can think of. Okay. All right. Hey, somebody asked me the other day, are we going to be doing our Oscar picks this year? Ah. And I realized, I mean, we do what we're watching every week, right? And mm-hmm. I realized, then I, I looked at the Oscar nominations. I think I've seen two of the movies nominated for Best Movie. So I'm not capable Jeez. of doing it. If you if you are, we can do that before the Oscars. But I don't know how many of them you've seen. No, I've only seen a couple. Yeah, I've only seen a couple. I, I mean, of, of the Best Picture nominees, 
off the top of my head, I think I, I think I've only seen two. I saw licorice pizza, which I hated. Yes, uh, which and, a lot of people, by the way, got back to me about that. Like, how can Ray hate that movie? It's well, like, I, I heard I, I heard back from a lot of people too, and some and some people agreed with me. Some people just didn't get it, and mm-hmm. then there are other people that really like it. It's it's just one of it's just one of those things. It's just a matter of taste. I, I understand it. It's it's very much a generational kind of thing. I think I think younger audiences. Uh, and younger fans kind of get that sort of thing. I, I didn't, it didn't do anything for me. But the movie I did see um, this year that I liked an awful lot was West Side Story. I thought that was, yeah. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I've, I've, got, I've, got all, I've got all of them. I've got all the discs. I just got to watch them. So maybe between now and then, maybe I'll start watching a few. All right, well, if you do that, I would, love, I, would lo- I would like to keep that as part of our show. If I would, too. To I would, it. too. I'm telling you, the one you have to see, my favorite movie of the year Coda, was right? Coda. Yeah. Love that movie. Yeah, I haven't heard a bad word about it. I mean, everybody, yeah. everybody, everybody who has seen it, everybody who's written about it, has been has praised it very highly. Yep. Uh, okay, let's get uh, Steve in Old City. What's on your mind, Steve? Hey, gentlemen, how you doing? Hey, Steve. Good. Hey, any truth to a story I heard from my neighbor that Ray once knocked over a locker and heard an all-star catcher? No. Okay, I didn't think so. Okay, no, no, no. So um, you're, you're you're hearing you're, it's a mashup of a of, of a couple of stories. I had a, I had a backup catcher through a chair at me one time. Yeah, no, I heard it. I was just a, ah, okay. a very poor, very poor attempt at humor. Obviously, gotcha. okay. okay. So, question for you, gentlemen, because I did not see the game last night. I noticed in the box score that the Timberwolves were nine for nineteen from three, and the Sixers were twenty three percent, and the Sixers were nineteen for thirty nine. From three, forty-eight percent, and Ray, you commented earlier about a spacing because, like, when when uh, Simmons was in town, if he was the three-point line, they left him alone because they knew he wouldn't shoot. Obviously, right. changed the dynamic. I'm just curious if you observed a spacing difference relative to three points, and you think that'll carry through the rest of the season? Oh, sure, absolutely. I mean, I think you saw it last night. And I think we're going to continue to see it. Because teams have to play, they they can't play the Sixers now the way they did with Simmons because they knew they know that they know that Harden will take that shot and he'll make that shot. So you saw, I mean, in the fourth quarter there, I mean, uh, Kate Scott made made the observation that um, they they hit eight threes in a row. They had eight threes. Now they finally missed one. I think they, I think they're probably eight for nine total shooting threes in the fourth quarter, which is I mean that's unusual. You're just not going to get that often, but it speaks to how good the looks were, and I think those are going to be there every night. And it's and it's okay. and it's and it's really just a function of the guy that's holding the ball. You have to play him totally differently than you had to play the other guy. Okay, a baseball question, if I may. Sure. Okay, um, if I never followed baseball and didn't know about analytics and didn't know about the trends, I would think that if Steve Carlton could pitch nine most games, players today could pitch fifteen. Yet they usually pitch five. Do you think we'll ever get back to pitchers? Pitching longer games, I think that's just done. It's a great question. I like, and th- th- thank you, Steve. It's a great question. I like to believe, Ray, that everything is cyclical. Mm-hmm. Uh, the running game is obsolete in the NFL. And guess what? Last year, the running game was pretty big in the NFL. It was. The reason this has disappeared with pitching is because, one, from a younger age, they are not expected to go as long, so they don't. And, two, because now you have these bullpens of 9, 10 guys all throw 100 miles an hour, and the theme is let's get them all out there, throw 25 pitches, and then sit down. Will it ever get back? I I hope so. I, you know, I was going to talk a little baseball today, and, and I guess this is the time to do it. Um, the owners and the players are having – 
these debates now about the most ridiculous nonsense. This is this is what Ken Rosenthal wrote this up the other day. Okay, the union is offering baseball restoration of a luxury tax that has sunset, expanded playoffs, a hundred million dollars annually, patches on uniforms. The owners are offering the union a minimum salary increase, barely keeping pace with inflation. Ray, do any of those items do a wit to improve the quality of the game? No. No, absolutely not. I, and I know earlier this week when you were on with um, the midday guys, right? Wasn't I, I, I tuned it in for a minute. You guys were doing a theme of how, to, how do you improve baseball? Right. I don't know what you discussed. Maybe we'll do this a little more tomorrow, but just let me throw it out right now. I don't know what you discussed. I don't know what other caller, what callers presented, but they eventually they will settle this. Eventually, baseball will come back. But I don't think anything they are doing is going to make it a better sport at a time when the game is sinking. Correct. No, that, that was actually that was actually the theme of what we talked about. I mean, that's actually kind of what Joe John and I talked about for about an hour. Was you know the owners and the players are mired in this endless seemingly discussion where they're arguing over this and they're arguing over that um, when in fact what they really should do is they should push all that stuff off to the side and say hey fellas let's talk about trying to save the game let's talk about trying to make the game better people don't watch baseball anymore people don't care about baseball anymore kids don't play baseball anymore let's talk about that okay and then we can get to collective bargaining and and all this other stuff you know and and, and marketing and all that we can get to all that later but let's talk about Let's talk about our game. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do to save our game before it, before it goes away? Um, and that's you know, and we that that was really kind of what we talked about for now. And that's what that's what I think about every time I, I read these stories every day about the you know, negotiations are breaking. Oh, well, we're going to sit down. And we're going to talk about this today. We're going to try and resolve this today. And I'm rolling my eyes and saying, why don't you talk about trying to save your game? Yeah, because that's that's really at the core of all of this. And that's really, and that's you know, the, I don't know if they really grasp. If are they so lost in the trees that they that they can't see the forest? I mean, is that is I, that really? I do what believe it is? that's the case. Yeah, I really do, and and I think the sport has declined so badly. Um, you know, um, Dan Wilson's got some sound. Dan, explain what it because I know you wanted to play this. Tell me what this is. Yeah, so this is Jim Bowden from Sirius XM, former GM of the Reds, just talking about kind of how far these two sides are apart. The gaps are so big in terms of the CBT tax, the threshold, the penalties. They're so far apart on the minimums, how to handle the zero to three non-arbitration eligible players. And because there is such distance now uh, and everybody's moving so little, look, one side has to be bigger than the other. And it doesn't matter if it's the clubs or the players. Someone's got to make a dramatic jump in the proposal to get serious negotiations going so we can get a deal done by Monday. Yeah, by the way, Monday is the day at which point they're going to have to start canceling regular season games. Right. I, I You know, maybe they will. It's always tough to predict how labor negotiations go. You and I have both covered them, and what happens is nothing's going to happen until it does. Uh, and they'll we'll have a season. But again, uh, you know, whether it's 162 or 150 or 120 games, if the games all last four hours and feature strikeouts, walks, and home runs, without any defense, any stealing, base running, you know, any, any of the things that make baseball interesting, I don't care if it comes back. Right. All right. Exactly, we'll no, about- exactly, exactly right. And l- listen, you and I are both 
old enough and deeply invested in this enough that we remember baseball, the, the game that we fell in love with as kids. Loved it. Loved it. Loved the game. You know, I mean, I, I would watch, you know, I, I, I would, you know, I, I, I watched every Phillies game. I mean, I never, I, you know, from, from first pitch to the last pitch, you know, good years, bad years. I watched it because it was baseball. I mean, that was my team. That was my game. Um, now, now it's a chore to watch baseball. It actually is. I mean, I'll sit down at night and I'll put a, I'll put a Phillies game on. Figure it out, especially on a Friday night. We're going we're going to be on the air on Saturday. Yeah, I'm going to watch the Phillies game because let's talk. We're going to be talking about it tomorrow. Sure. I'll I'll be into the third inning and I'll be I'll be bored and I'll just say you know there's jeez there's there's other things I could be doing right now. I never used to feel that way. Yeah. You know, and right. if if you and I, who are guys who are really love baseball and have a real appreciation uh, for the history of baseball and what and what baseball is. If, if we're not watching it, and we know the kids aren't watching it, then who the heck is watching it? You know, that, those are the issues that the owners and the players should be talking about right now. Yes, sir. Gerald in L.A. has been hanging a while. Let's get him in here. Hi, Gerald. Hey, how's it going, gentlemen? All right. Always a pleasure to tune into the app and hear you guys on the weekend, though it's Thank pretty you. early out Thanks, here. Thanks, Gerald. <laughs> uh, listen, yeah, yeah, last night, I want to do two quick six-year points. Uh, Last night was just such a release and a relief for Sixers fans because we watched Ben Simmons for years. We saw the flaws and the lack of offensive development. And on top of that, we were told we were almost crazy for pointing those things out and talking about them. Right. So to see, to see Joel Embiid and James Harden get out there and James Harden play like the masterful point guard that he is and see Joel with a true point guard was just such a relief. Now, we all know it was the Timberwolves. They're not winning every game by 30. They're going to lose some games. But just to see what the potential of it was was just such a big relief. Yeah. Uh, nicely said. And it, and it was fun. And it was a mystery how this would work. And I was optimistic, but not that it would happen this quickly so that they played that well yesterday. And Ray said earlier, not all going to be that way. But it was just really fun. And yeah. we haven't had enough really fun sport uh, games around this town. And, uh, uh, and you know, the one thing that Ray pointed out earlier is it definitely is his own buster. And you had a caller talk about the spacing for three-pointers. It's not just spacing for three-pointers. It's spacing so that it creates driving lanes. It creates passing lanes. Some of those – did you see some of the bounce passes that he threw on, like, pick and rolls or the bounce pass uh, that he threw to Maxie in the corner? Maxie ended up not getting his hand down far enough to get it. Yeah, but that's because of the spacing that you can get those passes through there. It it really was amazing to see, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of it over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's I gonna agree. Going to be a fun spring with that. It's good. Hey Ray, we got one team. The Flyers are unwatchable. Mm-hmm. I tried the other day, man. It's just, uh, and the uh, baseball is not here, so it's it all rests on the Sixers until the until the Eagles draft. I I have to admit I've 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 packed it in on the Flyers. I can't. You're Mr. Hockey. I can't watch them anymore. Yeah, can't watch them. I'm 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 writing I'm writing this year off. Kevin Hayes coming back, right? Yeah. How about that? I'm sure he's really happy about that. He's going he's going to come back and try and save the season. <laughs> how many times does he? How many times they try to bring him back and I had to shut him down again? Was this like two, three? Yeah, it'll happen again. It'll happen again. All right, 215-592-9494. We'll get a call or two in. We'll find out from Dan Wilson what we've got to talk about. Caller of the day for Shive Sports Prize. Uh, Go Birds Radio after us. Is that correct, Dan? 
That is correct. Elliot and James are both here. We'll get it to those boys in time. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. We will be back tomorrow at the same time. And some of the stuff that we normally do on Saturday that we pushed back because of uh, last night's Sixers excitement, we will do tomorrow, uh, including what we're watching and including Tell Us Your Story Best of. Ray, tell the people about tomorrow's special episode. Uh, tomorrow is going to be the third of our best ofs, and it's uh, going to be called Glad to Meet You. And it's going to be stories told by various athletes, broadcasters, and so forth about uh, their meeting with some famous people. So we've got some really good stuff in there, including the one that actually leads off the show is Jeremy Roenick's great story about when he was a little kid and finally uh, and actually got to meet sort of. Gordy Howe and how that influenced oh, uh, the course of his career. So a, a lot of great stories like that, plus some other stuff. Al Michaels comes on and talks about being there for the when the earthquake hit the uh, the start of the World Series. Uh, Adam Taliaferro uh, visits us and talks about uh, coming back from his uh, horrific injury when he was at Penn State. And we cap it all off with Pat Croce talking about what it was like to try and keep the peace between Larry <laughs> Brown and Allen Iverson. So there's really a lot yeah. of good stuff there. A lot of fun stuff, and we're looking forward to that tomorrow. Let's get Darren in North Philly. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Darren. Hey, gentlemen. Good call, man. Good, I mean, uh, good show, man. Thank uh, you. Especially about baseball. Um, you know, I, I have to say, and I, I hate to be one of those guys that throw race into something, but I, can I just be honest, you know, for this for a second? I <laughs> You know, I grew up on baseball. You know, my father, you know, tell me about some of the, the leagues back down in the South and, and, um, and, and uh, you know, Little Dirt Roads and the league and, and how they play ball and then learning how to keep score. Like, I really, those things kind of gravitated me towards baseball. I really loved it. I thought it was a connection to the people. I, just, I think baseball lost its way. And I think it's lost its way, particularly in the African-American community, where people don't even care about it no more. And it, it's sad to me that I go past a bunch of fields that I used to love playing and, um, you know, whether it was stick ball or regular baseball, but now it's like every other sport has surpassed it. And um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. think it's a race baseball... thing. Cause I don't, I don't think it's any different in white neighborhoods. Oh really? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, no, I don't, I don't okay, think, okay. I don't think kids are, I just don't think it's happening anywhere. Yeah. You, you, that, that, that could be true. I, I will say that. I just, I just don't see the connections for me. Like I was really, I love players like Rod Carew. Tony Pendleton, Ricky Henderson, I mean, Don Baylor, you know, um, I, I really looked up to those type of players. That was just me. But I just, right now, I, I just don't see those type of players, you know, even, I mean, says me, I mean, even, you know, Daryl Strawberry types and stuff like that. Um, I just don't see, I just don't see those well, type of it's, players. Being, being and and, and Darren, I, I appreciate your point of view, and, and I do hear you, but I will just say that, I, and, and Ray and I have said this, um, Mike Trout could walk down Broad Street, and the only way people would know him is because they see him at Eagles games. Wow, that, that's, yeah. that's saying something. That you're yeah. right. And, and 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 again, I don't I don't I don't think it's, it's a race thing. So, you, you go down to Washington. Soto is is arguably the best player in the game, right? Right. right. He's a man of color. Right. I, I don't. Nobody. This is something that black and white and Hispanic people can all share. We no longer follow baseball. Yeah, you don't follow baseball. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the point that Darren was making, and he's, he's so right about this, is you drive by ball fields now, um, and I, drive, I used to drive by a lot of them, and, uh, you know, the lights are on at night because they're lit up, they're city, they're city playgrounds, and there's a baseball diamond. There's not a soul on it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's totally illuminated, and the field's there, and there's nobody playing on it. 
and yeah. their kids just aren't playing baseball anymore. They're just not. And the, no. the sport is the sport is dying. I mean, there's yeah. no question about that. The sport is dying. And people say, oh, no, that, that'll never happen. It, you know, it's baseball for heaven's sakes. No, no, look, look around. Take a good, hard look. Who's playing this game? Who's following this game? Where's the younger generation? Where are those next group of players and fans going to come from? Um, and that's, that's the real core issue that, that the people like Rob Manfred and the owners and the players and the Players Association, that's, that's really what they need to be talking about now. But unfortunately, they're not. No, they're sure not. Last caller of the day is Frank in Delaware. What's up, Frank? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. I won't ask you because I already heard how well you're doing. I called in because of this conversation on baseball, and I don't call in often. Well, I was a teenager, 1964. There was a lot of talk about the Phillies, and I became a fan. I picked the wrong year to do it because they slapped me in the face at the end of the year and continued to do it all along. Um, but I, what I want to mention, I can't give up baseball. That's all I ever did. I grew up in an area of Little Italy and Wilmington. That's baseball, basketball, football, wireball, stepball. We competed every day after school. I can't get that out of my system. I have a TiVo system. I record the Phillies games. I've got two buttons. One advances 30 seconds, one back. Frank, I got to gotta hit the end of the show, so you got to tell me quick. I am at and? the end of it. I am at the end of it. What I'm saying is... I can. They throw a pitch. I hit the button. I see the next pitch. Hit the button. See the next pitch. Yeah. That was my point. The only yeah. way I can enjoy the game now. I, and I appreciate it. I, we do have to run. And thank you for your call. Let us go to Dan Wilson in studio. Dan, what did we actually? Before we forgot to talk about who's the caller of the day. Yes, yeah, so our caller of the day is going to be Matt. Perhaps I'm a little biased, but he's close to me in age, 27 years old, talking about how this is like by far the most excited he's ever been uh, about the Sixers, and it's true because you know he and I. We caught the tail end of the Allen Iverson days, but we've gone through uh, tons of bad Sixers teams. And this watching last night and what's to come certainly very, very exciting. Nice, good stuff. Congratulations to him. He wins the fifty dollars gift card to Scheib Sports, Ray Didinger's favorite place in the world. Certainly is. Uh, visit them at their downtown shop in Center City or ScheibSports.com, uh, where there's a story in every stitch. All right. What did we forget to talk about? Yeah, so two quick things. Number one is we hit a lot on the Harden stuff, uh, but what is also getting kind of national attention here now is the guy who departed from Philadelphia, Ben Simmons, who is still not playing, by the way, despite hearing about what great physical shape he was in. And it just starts to raise the question whether he's literally not going to return until that March 10th game or until after that March 10th game in Philadelphia. They still have six more games than Nets do between now and then. He's still not playing, so unclear if he'll come back and play some games and then sit out that game, whether he'll just sit out until then to make it look more real. But literally, like, all this shows this week nationally, not even just here in Philadelphia, debating whether why Ben Simmons can't be on the floor right now. I don't think he's going to play till after. I think he's going to start playing Ray as soon as, they, as soon as after the game here. Yeah, probably. May 11th, he'll be all ready to go. Yeah, it'll, I mean, it'll be too conspicuous if he plays like a couple games and then sits that one out and then comes back. So they'll just, they'll, they'll just milk this thing till they get past the 10th, and then he'll start to play. But what it comes yep. down to is what we said earlier. He just doesn't want to play. Doesn't want to play. Simple as that. Agreed. And then my other thing here, uh, it's not actually a sports-related topic, but I heard uh, our very own Ray Dinger on with the Midday Show this week uh, with an all-time rant on the Sopranos finale. Glenn, we were talking during the break. You said you had not heard this, so I'm going to play it no. uh, both for you and the audience. It's, oh, I, I hated that. Yeah, it's... I hated it. Joe, I hated it. 
I there there was no bigger Sopranos fan than me. Yep. I mean, I I that was the last show that I actually tried to work my schedule around that I mm-hmm. could see it. I mean, it was appointment viewing for me. It hasn't been one since. But I so hate it the way that series ended. You know, I just my feeling was and and what really annoyed me were the people that tried to say, "Oh, that was genius." Mm-hmm. You know, the David Chase, he's letting the viewer write their own ending for the Well, guess what? That's not my job. (laughs) David Chase, it ain't my job to finish your series for you, okay? You're you're the writer. You finish your series, okay? So anybody that tried that cop out that, oh, that was genius because he's letting you apply your own. No, guess what? He couldn't figure it out himself. So he just put it out there and sort of allowed people to kind of create this mystique about it. But it was a total, from a storyteller standpoint, from a writer standpoint, it was one of the biggest cop outs of all time. I'm going to I'm going to give Ray. Hold on, I'm going to get up out of my chair. I'm going to give Ray a standing ovation for that. That was <laughs> that was outstanding work, Ray. You got a standing ovation from Joe to camera for that, Ray. Yeah, and I agree with you on that, Ray. Uh, <laughs> and and by the way, he. Um, David Chase came out recently, I forgot what it was, and basically said, like, yeah, it, it, it was lights out for Tony. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You had to wait all these years to find out, but that's he, he kind of confirmed it uh, in an interview in the last yeah, couple of months. good. Thanks. That's what. That's <laughs> yeah. Guess what, right. Dave? Guess what, Dave? Shut up and go away, okay? You, 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 had, you had your chance to end the thing, and you know what he did? He choked. He choked. He, got to, he, he played a great game, and then it came down to the final shot, and he choked. That's what it came down to. So I don't want I don't want to hear him telling us now. Oh, this is what really happened. You had your chance and you blew it. I didn't know you were going to do this all over again. No, well, there you go. Good stuff. I felt cheated. I, as somebody who I inv- did too. Who, who, I invest, was... who invested all those years in that in those characters and that story, and it was brilliant. I'll give him credit for creating something that was really brave and really brilliant. Doing a story where he made a mob boss likable. Okay, it was brilliant. But it came down to the it came down to the final possession, and he blew it. Good stuff. All right, Ray. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Dan Wilson. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thanks to everybody for listening. Go Birds Radio coming up right next after this. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mac now on ninety four WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest five G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.